from letters that children wrote pastors. Here's one, Stephen, age eight. Dear pastor, I would like to go to heaven someday because I know my brother won't be there. (laughs) Another eight-year-old, dear pastor, I know God loves everybody, but he never met my sister. Little boy, age nine, dear pastor, please say in your sermon that Peter Peterson has been a good boy all week. I am Peter Peterson. (laughs) Little girl, age nine, says, dear pastor, my mother is very religious. She goes to church to play bingo every week, (laughs) even if she has a cold. (laughs) Christopher, age nine, wonders, dear pastor, who does God pray to? Is there a God for God? Age 11, Ralph, dear pastor, I liked your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. <laughs> I think he's, I've, he's written me a few times. <laughs> Marie, age nine, dear pastor, how does God know the good people from the bad people? Do you tell him or does he read it in the newspaper? <laughs> we all have questions like these youngsters. And many have found their answers to their deepest questions in this chapter that we're looking at during four consecutive weeks, and that is Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is rightly called the chapter of the lost and found. It describes the sheep that was lost and found, the coin that was lost and found. It describes the son who was lost and then found. Today we turn our attention to the story of that lost son, but more specifically, we turn our attention to the story of the loving father. And if, you, if your heart could use a father, you're in the right place. I pray that God blesses us all as we open the word. Father, forgive the speak, sins of the speaker. You know there are too many to count. Help us to see Christ, just Christ. Through Christ we pray. And all the church said. Luke, the physician, uh, took on the artist's smock And he hung a a painting in the gallery of his gospel. Look at it a million times. And every time, the impression will be as strong as the first time. And let a million people look at it, and each person will think that painting represents him or her, and they will be right. The portrait includes a big, beautiful house on the top of a hill. It also includes a narrow trail that leads up to the house. The father has come running down from the house. The son has come trudging up the trail. And the two have met here at the gate. We can't see the face of the boy. It's buried in the chest of the father. But we can see his tattered robe. We can see his stringy hair. We can see the mud on his back. We can see the filth on his shoulders. We can see the empty purse lying on the ground. At one time, that purse was full of money, but that was a dozen taverns ago. At one time, the boy was full of pride, but now both the purse and the pride have been depleted. The prodigal son comes back with no gift, no defense, no explanation, just an apology a rehearsed apology. He says, Father, I have sinned against God and I have sinned against you. 
and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The boy cannot imagine after all that he has done, all the rebellion that has played out in his life, he cannot imagine that he still has a place at the table. He's willing to give up his birthright. He's willing to give up his place. He's willing to be a hired hand. He's willing to stop being a son. (laughs) But there's only one problem. Though the boy is willing to stop being a son, the father's not willing to stop being a father. We can't see the boy's face in the painting, but boy, we can't miss the face of the father. Can you not imagine, can you not envision those tears as they glisten on the leathery cheeks and that smile as it breaks through the silver hair of the beard? One arm of the father holds the boy up so he won't fall. Another arm of the father holds the boy close so he won't doubt. And he turns to his servants and he says, hurry, bring the best clothes and put them on him. Also put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get our fat calf and kill it so we can have a feast and celebrate. My son was dead, but he is alive again. He was lost, but now he is found. Don't you know those words must have stunned the young man? Didn't he squander his inheritance? Didn't he turn and walk out on his father? The boy assumed he had forfeited his privilege to sonship. But the father doesn't give up so easily. The child may have been out of the house, but he never was out of the father's heart. He may have left the table, but he never left the family. Please don't miss the message here. And that is, you may be willing to stop being God's child, but God is not willing to stop being your father. He has made a covenant with you. And when you said yes to him, he said yes to you, and he never breaks a promise. Did you know of all God's names, Father is his favorite? We can say this with absolute certainty because it's the name Jesus used in every occasion except one when he spoke to God or spoke about God. Remember the very first time he spoke and recorded scripture? Didn't you know that I had to be in my, what, father's house? In that final proclamation, that victorious proclamation from the cross, he said, Father, I give you my life. Over 200 times in Scripture, Jesus calls God Father. Over 150 times in the Gospel of John alone. It is right to call God King. It is right to call God Holy. But if you want to talk to Him, call Him your Father. Call Him your Abba, A-B-B-A. This is how Jesus taught us to pray, isn't it? our Abba, our Father, who art in heaven. I think it's difficult for us to appreciate or comprehend how revolutionary it was for Jesus to call God Father and invite us to do the same. Here's a paragraph from a respected New Testament theologian by the name of Joaquin Jeremias. He says, with the help of my assistants, I have examined the prayer literature of ancient Judaism. The result of this examination was that in no place in this immense literature is this invocation of God as Abba, Father, to be found. Abba was an everyday word. 
It was a homely, family word. No Jew would have dared to address God in this manner. Yet Jesus did it always in all his prayers, which are handed down to us with one single exception, the cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the Lord's prayer, Jesus authorizes his disciples to repeat the word Abba after him. He gives them a share in his sonship. He empowers his disciples to speak with their heavenly father in such a familiar and a trusting way. Let's go deeper and understand how God wants to be the father to our hearts. In fact, I would suggest to you that God's mission is your adoption. God's mission is adoption. When we come to Christ, God not only forgives us, but he adopts us through this dramatic series of events. We go from condemned orphans who have no hope to being adopted children who have no fear. Here's how it happens. You come before the judgment seat of God, kind of like that prodigal son. Your past follows you wherever you go. Maybe you smell like the pigs of mistakes or decisions you have made. Because of his justice, he cannot dismiss your sin. But because of God's love, he cannot dismiss you. So in an act that stunned the heavens, Jesus took on your sin. He took on your rebellion. And heaven treated him as if he had committed the sins. He paid the price for you. God's justice and love were equally honored. And you, God's creation, were forgiven. But the story does not end with forgiveness. If it did, we'd be doubly blessed, right? But it does not. The story continues into adoption. Paul says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It would be enough if God just cleansed your name, but he gives you his name. It would be enough if God just set you free, but he does more. He takes you home. Adoptive parents sure get this passion of God, don't you? We have any adoptive parents with us today? I don't mean to offend biological parents. I'm one myself. But I've learned that adoptive parents truly understand this passion of God to populate his house with children. We biological parents have a longing for children as well. And yet for many of us, our, our, our crib was, was filled relatively easily. We decided to have a child, and a, and a child came. In fact, sometimes a child came with no decision. <laughs> I have heard of unplanned pregnancies, but I have never heard of an unplanned adoption. That's why adoptive parents understand these scriptures. That's why adoptive parents really perk up whenever we talk about God's plan to adopt us. They know what it means to adopt a child. They know what it means to go on a hunt, to set out on a mission, to take responsibility for a child, even a child who comes with a dubious past or a spotted future. If anybody understands God's passion 
for children. It's adoptive parents. You know, God has adopted you. He has set out. He sought you. He found you. He signed the papers and he took you home. God's mission is adoption. Why? Because God's motive is devotion. He is devoted to you. I've had the privilege on occasion of witnessing firsthand the drama of adoption. On one occasion, a lady in another state called our church office, asked to speak to me. She said, my daughter is about to have a child and we'd like to put the child up for adoption. Do you happen to know any families? I did. And so I put the two in touch, the family in San Antonio with the lady from another state and I watched the drama unfold. I saw the joy at the possibility. I saw the heartbreak at the roadblocks. I watched the resolve in the eyes of the father and you should have seen the determination in the heart of the mother. They were willing to pay whatever it cost, go wherever they needed to go. They wanted to adopt that child and they did. Only moments after his birth, the infant was placed in their arms. And this is no exaggeration. They smiled for a month after they brought that baby home. Every time I saw them, they were smiling, grinning. I see them in the church auditorium. They were smiling in the church hallway. They were smiling. During a church service, they were smiling. I think I could have preached a sermon on the horrors of hell, and they would have smiled all the way through it. (laughs) Why? Because the child for whom they had longed had come into their home. Quick question. Why did that family adopt that child? I mean, they had healthy marriage, stable income, had a bright future. Were they hoping to, I don't know, get some more sleep or, or get some more money? Of course not. You and I both know both sleep, and deplete, both sleep and money were depleted the day they brought that baby home. Why did they adopt the child? Why do parents adopt children? As you're answering that question, can I give you the answer God gives us for the reason he adopts us? Long before, long ago before God made the world, he chose us to be his very own. I, I want to Don't hurry here. I'm I'm sensing that some of you need to read that again. Long ago, before God made the world, God chose, can you take that word us out and put your name there? God chose you to be his very own. Through what Christ would do for us, he decided then to make us holy in his eyes without a single fault. We who stand before him covered in his love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this. Why? Because you're good looking. No, that's not what it says. He did this because you have so much wisdom. No, that's not what it says. He did this for your wit. He did this for your wallet. No, he did this out of his will. Period. He just chose to. It was his decision. He took the initiative. He made the decision on his own, knowing full well the price he would pay and the trouble we would be 
He adopted us into his family. Your Abba adopted you and became your father. I'm going to press this just a little more. Because somebody's not following me. I can see the squint in your eye. There's this resistance, this, this deflector shield that surfaces in some of our hearts whenever somebody talks to you about the love of God. And in your mind, you hear someone's voice. That voice says, well, that's for everybody but you. Not after what you've done. It may be for them, but not after the life you've led. Do you... Dear child of God, do you not understand Luke 15 is your story? Yes, you were a sheep. You got distracted from the flock. You wandered away. Yes, you're a coin. How you ended up under the couch, we cannot say. Yes, you're the son. Yes, you intentionally rebelled. You turned your back. You heard the voices of Las Vegas and you got seduced into the world. But your heavenly father, your shepherd, the housewife, the father, has never forgotten you. So let that deflector shield come down. And it's also hard because your experience with receiving love for others has left you jaded, cautious. Others have said one thing one day and behaved another way the next way. This is doubly difficult if your experience with your earthly father was painful. And here Locato comes up inviting you to call God your father and every time you say the word father it gets stuck right here in your throat. May God help you understand that your heavenly father is not your earthly father. The spirit of Jesus will help you disassociate the two. He will help you redefine your understanding of fatherhood. Because your heavenly father is not one who makes a promise to you one day and then slaps you the next. He's not into that love them and leave them stuff. A new day awaits you. Be open to the possibility of seeing your heavenly father as one who comes to you in a spirit of devotion. And for proof and for the final point, we see God's method and that's redemption. He purchases us. He pays the price. The Apostle Paul continues this theme in Galatians. He says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem or purchase those who were under the law. And we might what? Receive. We receive this adoption. We don't earn this adoption. We don't deserve this adoption. We don't qualify for this adoption. We're adopted into the family of God out of the grace of God, out of his goodness. He doesn't adopt us for what we have. Can you imagine if prospective parents went to the adoption agency and they said, well, you know, we're really interested in adopting Johnny, but we just want to know how much money he has. We want to know if he has a home. Has he already paid for his college tuition? To which the adoption agency would say, no, you're getting this backwards. You don't adopt a child because of what the child has. You adopt the child because of what the child needs. 
a home, a place at the table. Dear friend, your deepest need is a spiritual home. Trace the root of the, trace the cause of our anxieties and fears back to the root. And it's because we feel dislodged. We don't belong anywhere. We don't have a place. But yet that lo- let that lost soul find a place at the table of his or her loving father. And healing begins to happen. Your heavenly father loves you. And he adopts you not because of what you bring, but because of who he is. Now think about this. If we cannot earn our adoption by our stellar performance, can we lose it through our poor performance? When I was seven years old, I ran away from home. I'd had enough of my father, thank you very much. His rules, his regulations. I didn't need him. I got a brown paper bag, I filled it with my possessions, and I marched down the alleyway behind our house. My rebellion was a bit brief. I got to the next block and I realized I didn't know where I was and I was very hungry. So I turned around and came back. I wasn't gone as long as apparently the boy in Luke 15 was gone, but it was still a rebellion. And had you stopped me as I was leaving the house and asked me about my father, I might very well have said, what father? What father? I can lead my own life. Thank you. And had you asked my father as I was rebelling about Max, my father would have said, oh, he's still my son. He doesn't know what he's doing very often, but he's still my son. That's what a father does. And my father proved that because when I came back home, walked into the kitchen rather sheepishly, there the family was sitting at the table and there my chair was vacant. He had not given it to someone else. And I had a place at the family table. So do you, dear friends. So do you. Oh, I feel such a burden on my heart to convince you of that today. But only the Spirit of Jesus can convince you. You have a great place in the family of God. And the reason God is adopting children is because he's populating this planet for the next kingdom. The new kingdom, when the earth is restored to its garden of Eden splendor, will simply be populated by people, not because of what we've done, but because of who God is. And we'll meet people from every tribe, every tongue, every ethnic background. All these centuries, we'll all be there together. And the one thing we'll have in common is we all got adopted. We were lost and then we were found. At the base of that beautiful painting that I envision in Luke chapter 15, the one of the father and the son meeting at the gate, at the base of that painting is this beautiful inscription written by the Apostle Paul, but inspired by God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor ruling spirits, nothing now, nothing in the future, no powers, nothing above, nothing below us, nor anything else in the world will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. May God 
reveal himself to you today as your father. I know it's right to call him holy. It's right to call him king. It's right to bow before him and call him master. But nothing touches his heart and nothing changes yours as much as when you call him Abba, your father, heavenly father. Minister now to these, your children, please. Thank you for the promise of scripture. Thank you for these beautiful stories. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. We've set apart some time now for prayer, for prayer, inviting the Holy Spirit to take whatever message he wants to and let it go deeply in your heart. Could I invite you to stand for this time of prayer? If you're watching online, if you'd like to stand, if you'd like to bow, you'd like to kneel also if you'd like to if you're in the sanctuary if you'd like to come to the front we invite you to do so we're going to be offering a prayer for strength for strength do you need strength God's word says those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength wait upon in the scripture means put their hope in put their hope in those who put their hope in if you're waiting on the Lord trusting him you're going to receive new strength we're going to pray specifically today for renewed strength. If you want to remain in your seat, that's fine. But if it would better, I don't know, benefit you to come to the front as if you're coming to Christ. I'll be quiet for just a few moments. And those of you who want to come to the front, please, now is your time. We welcome you, Heavenly Father, as you minister now to these, your children. We use that word children on purpose. We're so thankful to be children of God. And that's what brings us all together today, is that we belong to you. Gracious Lord, speak to that heart that feels far from you today. Speak to that heart that feels distant, that is afraid. Speak to those who are weary with life's journeys. Speak to those who feel guilty from poor choices, who come today with a repentant spirit, saying like the Son, I'm sorry for what I've done. Speak to those, Father, who are afraid and they just need some strength. Bless these, your children, Father. They're your children. They're yours. You bought them. You own them. 
and you've made a promise to them. You said those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall renew their strength. Oh, we're excited about the renewed strength you're about to pour out on your church. These who are elderly need feel so feeble sometimes. We all do. Things so body starts wearing out. We pray for strength, Lord. We pray for strength to forgive somebody yet again. To put up with somebody yet again. To work on this relationship yet again. Oh, we need your strength. We need emotional strength, Lord, because we get anxious. We have trouble sleeping. Depression comes our way. Self-centeredness comes our way. We beg you, Lord. We beg you. In these next few moments, please just tell the Lord where you're needing strength today. this prayer time before we do can I just urge you to to say Father if you Father just say it out loud say Father 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 if you want to say Abba if you want to say Papa He is your Father and then Lord we close this prayer asking for healing upon your children who have been wounded by fathers that person who was supposed to protect them brought pain to them. That person who was supposed to provide for them abandoned them. And Lord, I just can't, I just, I just don't know anything that would bring healing more than your touch. Your touch, Lord. Please. Have mercy, Lord. Thank you also for adoptive parents those who, who have been in pursuit of children who needed a home and let a blessing be upon them and their children. Through Christ we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.